Welcome to the Manager Tools Podcast for Monday, October 3rd, 2005. Hi, this is your host, Michael Ozan, and welcome to Manager Tools. Each week on Manager Tools, we try to bring you tools and techniques that you can use each day to improve your management capabilities. Today, Mark and I discuss the process of interviewing, and more specifically, how to prepare for the interview. Although most folks would assume that we'd immediately get into the actual conduct of the interview, for example, what questions to ask, our experience is that the true value comes in the preparation stage. And today, we talk about preparing for the interview. And with that, let's get on with the show. Okay, Mark, how are you doing? I'm good, Mike. How are you? I'm doing great. I got to ask you, how was Italy? Uh, it was good. I, I won't bore everybody with the details, but uh, uh, I tell you, Europe is something else. We spent uh, a couple days in Sicily in this uh, just very rustic, uh, small town, hometown of my partners, and it was just absolutely gorgeous. I, I can't remember the last time I was so relaxed. It good. was just, yeah, sitting there on the porch, uh, drinking a glass of wine, smoking a cigar. It was It was good. And then uh, four days in Rome, which, uh, you know, I, I guess if you haven't been to Europe before you and you're from the United States, you you just don't know how young a country we are. And, uh, <laughs> the, you know, the traditions and the the beauty of the of the city was just incredible. So I'll leave it at that. But uh, need to say anybody wants to know more, send me an email. OK, great. Today we're going to talk a little bit about um, interviewing. Yes. Folks have asked us uh, a couple times for some information on interviewing. Uh, I think it's not necessarily stated this way most times. Sometimes, though, I get the feeling that people want the other side of it, which is you know, how to be on the receiving end of the interview and be successful and make more money and get the job of their dreams, etc. But we're not going to attack it from that end. However, I think with this knowledge, one would be pretty prepared to be on the receiving end as well. Yes, of course. People ask more questions about being interviewed, Mike, because they're more fearful of it, because they're not in the position of power. Unfortunately, I wish more people would ask about how to be the interviewer, because the state of interviews in corporate America is truly horrendous. I mean, managers do not know how to interview. They don't know how to ask the right questions. Um... And in fact, that's what they always ask me, Mike. They say they know I've been a recruiter before. Um, they know I consult on the entire talent management chain, and recruiting and interviewing is a key part of that. Um, and what they always ask is, what question should I ask? And of course, that is the third or fourth most important question. The most important question is, how should I be evaluating the answers of my interviewees? Um, it doesn't matter how good your questions are if you don't know how to evaluate their answers. Uh, but that is definitely for a, another podcast. I, I thought this time we'd start with um, uh, actually preparing for the interview. And when I think of preparing, even before you get around to figuring out what questions you're going to ask, you got to ask some questions about the actual position and getting it clear about what it is you're going to be recruiting for. And I think, uh, as we talked about earlier, this is the the, the pre work before the interview is where I think the the vast majorities of managers fall down and it is probably the absolutely the most important area but it's it's almost always overlooked i think right yeah i agree uh you know a little bit of prep work 
um, which can be repeated over and over again, and you'll get better at it, and you'll get it down to maybe an hour at most. Uh, a little bit of prep work will improve your ability to hire the right person tremendously. So, yeah, I agree. Now, I suspect, just like everything else we talk about, you have a series of actual steps folks can do to prepare for the interview. Is that right? Yeah, I've got I've got seven listed here, but to be fair, these are seven within a whole bunch of steps that go into preparation and so on. We're going to touch on them in 30 minutes at a pretty high level. Um, but yes, we do. And the first step, the step that everybody forgets, um, is managers, when they're thinking about hiring, they should first tap their own talent pool. And and I want to I want to caveat that a little bit, Mike, because the second point is ask yourself if the job needs to be filled at all. We're going to come back to that one. But a lot of times people say, oh, well, I know what I should do, Mark. The first thing I should do is I should look to see whether or not I should even fill the job. Nope. Even before you do that, you should tap the people. You should have a group of talented people that you think of as your pool of future team members. Uh, they may be in many different roles. They may be inside or outside your firm or your company, your division, your organization, whatever. They may be way too junior for you right now or for your present opening, or they may be too senior or they're right too far away. It doesn't matter. Um, before you even consider going through the pain of recruiting, ask yourself if you have a potential opening. Is there anyone you've always wanted to work with, and how easy or hard would it be to have him or her come and fill your position? Since people are your most important asset, um, you might as well have good ones at the ready. Now, this show is not about telling people... <laughs> how to create a talent pool. That's going to be a separate show. We're going to do that. But um, you and I talked recently about the uh, Fortune Magazine articles about decision-making. They asked Jim Collins, the guy who wrote Good to Great, uh, management guru, one of the questions they asked him was, what were the surprises when you re-examined your research regarding decision-making? And Collins said, we tend to think that decisions are very much about what. But when I look at my research notes and I look at interview transcripts from the executives we've interviewed, one theme comes through that their greatest decisions were not what, but who. They were people decisions. And Collins says this. He says, why are people decisions so important? Fundamentally, the world is uncertain. Decisions are about the future and your place in the future when that future is uncertain. So what is the key thing you can do to prepare for that uncertainty? You can have the right people with you. So that's part of the reason why I think this is such a key, key topic. And you, everybody out there knows people that they'd really love to work with, but they never really captured or quantified it in any, any particular way. Um, and I think you've got to have a talent pool, and um, you should ask yourself, are anybody in there qualified or potentially qualified to fill this opening? And if that's the case, then you then the process you go through is different than the one I'm recommending. It's much shorter, probably, to get the kind of person you want on board. Okay. I, I think also you, you mentioned about looking, you know, tapping your talent pool. I, I don't know of any other way to make yourself a popular manager than making sure that your best employees continue to get promoted and get new opportunities. And uh, my experience has been if you do that, then you will have every qualified manager, the best performers in the entire organization, even you know outside of yours even, are going to be clamoring to come work in your organization. Uh, and when that happens, that's, that's when life gets 
Really interesting. Yes. Yeah. You, you, they they ask to be in your group of friends, You're, and they you essentially put them in your talent pool. I totally agree. We didn't talk about why you would have an opening, and there are a number of different reasons, growth or firing or somebody turning over or whatever. But if you've promoted somebody or given somebody in your team a chance to go somewhere else, that sends a positive message to, to fellow, fellow managers and coworkers. And there really are a group of, the, of managers at the top who do that. All their people tend to get promoted and move on. And then there's that group where everybody goes there and maybe the group is well d- does well, but nobody ever leaves. That's not the group where high performers want to go um, because they're afraid that they'll never leave. The manager will ask them to do a lot of work. Maybe they'll be kudos, but if you don't leave there, you can't grow your career. So there's a downside of, of um, you know, bringing good people to you and not letting them go, not letting them get promoted. Yeah, and and this is not the show to talk more right, about exactly. it, but it's not a it's not a bad uh, exercise to go through if if you're looking to grow within your company. It's not a bad exercise to go through and look at the managers and senior managers out there and find out you know who who's promoting their people, who's yeah. uh, developing and getting their fo- their good folks uh, opportunities. And, exactly. Uh, my experience, when you look at that, it it sticks out like a sore thumb, yep. and it's pretty clear where you want to go work. So yeah, <laughs> good point. What what about you now we talked you know you're talking about um looking at your your own talent pool what about looking at lesser qualified internal candidates versus a more experienced external candidate are there how how would you look at that you know for example i have somebody who's not maybe they don't have the experience or they're not quite ready for the job it'd be a a stretch assignment and then i have somebody external to the organization who's very good's done it before can do it in right. their, their sleep what's the What's your take on? I'd say nine times out of ten, I would choose the less experienced, the less qualified internal candidate over an ex- external candidate. Um, I think the more an organization sends a message, and and look, managers are part of the organization, and you aggregate all manager behavior, and suddenly you have the management culture of the firm. Um, so you may not be the entire company, but you contribute to the perception of the company and the part of your direct reports and others. Um, anytime you go outside, um, you send a message that there are less opportunities at the top for people within the organization. Good people want a chance to grow, and they evaluate the company constantly on whether or not the company is taking care of them. So I would absolutely, nine times out of ten, pick a lesser qualified internal candidate over a more experienced one. And now, you know, sometimes I'm accused of being Machiavellian, Mike. I don't have any problem if you work for me saying, look, there are other people out there that I've looked at who look better on paper, and I'm going to get some pushback for putting you in this role. I'm going to work with you, but this is me saying to you, you're good, and this is a stretch role, and you need to be prepared for that. It would be easier for me to hire somebody from the outside, but I'm choosing you, and I expect you to step up. I'm not going to do it and not. Ha- I'm not going to do it and not have that conversation with somebody, um, so that they know clearly what they're getting into. And I want them to feel that I've done them a favor. Um, I want them to know that I intend for them to grow, and I don't have any problem if the- I end up working for them. Um, but I'm not going to blindside them and say, "Gee, I don't know if you know this, but I had other people better than you, and you really haven't stepped up." I'm going to tell them that up front. Let me push back a little bit, though. Does okay? Are there any danger in doing that of creating kind of an insular? organization with a lot of groupthink. Uh, do we need how about fresh blood? 
Yeah, um, every management decision is fraught, fraught with danger. <laughs> well, you know there's no if easy people, answer? Oh. If people are listening to our podcast hoping that the words that come out of our mouths will help them avoid danger, well, sorry. I mean, you'll reduce the risk, but yeah, sure, there's a chance that if you always promote from within, you're not going to get some fresh ideas. Um, I have, I know of a great manager, a very good friend of mine, who once did that and told her team, I'm sorry, we're going to wait. We're going to wait until we find the right person. And it took them almost a year when they were really in pain to bring in some who just thought completely differently, and he made a completely, he made an enormous impact on the organization. So yeah, that, that, that's an issue. Um, and I'll talk a little bit later about the fact that you need to consider your team and the makeup of your team in your hiring process. And, and I think to some degree, though, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves in terms of you know that's a hiring decision rather than a preparation decision. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Okay. What? Good. What's next? Um, okay. Um, then, after we look at our talent pool, thinking we might have an opening, and we don't, let's assume for a moment we haven't seen anybody that's, that's uh, really fabulous in our talent pool, then we ask ourselves, okay, does this job really need to be filled? Um, uh, and, you know, if you can save your company some money by not hiring, um, uh I, I, I think that's a good thing. Now, there are people who will tell you, oh, my gosh, no, you sh- if you get an open rec, you should absolutely fill it. And I said, well, okay, that's um, common wisdom, but, you know, I, I just disagree with it. Um, uh, some sub-questions that are helpful. Um, what's our market doing? Do I, do I think there's going to be some downward pressure on, on people or people numbers or salary or costs uh, in the near term? Here's one that I think people forget. Could my team do the work of now and the next six months without filling this role? Um, and I think this is something to think about, even if you have diversity at your, the, the level below you in terms of job diversity. Um, whether you have six different people doing six different, six different things or ten people all answering the phones or all doing audit reports or whatever, um, managers can still ask, how would I manage or staff my team differently if my boss said, sorry, I can't give you that open rack. You can't pr- have permission to hire. Another thing you can do, ask your team to consider it. Hey, listen, guys, it looks like we're going to have an opening. John's going off to get an MBA. Um, Barbara's going to move. Her family's moving. Um, John is thinking about taking some time to be home with his family. Um, ask your team. Could we do this job with one less person? Now, one thing I, I could do is if the team says, yeah, I'm going to say, look, I'm going to go back to the boss. I'm going to say, we're going to free up some salary money here, but I want y- your commitment to me that you're going to have a bigger pool of, of bonus in there for my team because we're going to be, if we continue to do the work and we don't have you know degradation in, in morale and so on, we're going to improve productivity here. I'd like to know that my team can share in that a little bit. Um, uh, I, I still suspect more often than not you're going to hire but thinking about it that way, about now and the future and about the impact on your team and about being somebody who's a good husband of resources, um, I think is an effective step to go through. And I don't recommend paying lip service to it. I recommend thinking about it for half an hour um, and it'll make you better, particularly when you're at the top and somebody says, how many people does it take to get this? You know, if we're talking about multiple hires, it'll make you more effective if early in your career you're thinking about for every position that's potentially open, do I have to hire for that job? Right. Well, own your own business, and that kind of thinking becomes uh, pretty natural. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the um, but one one thing though, besides husbanding resources, I think there's an opportunity often where you have a high performance individual who's demonstrated the the capability to do something greater. That by taking some of the responsibilities of the person who's left and giving them out to some of those other high performers, there's an opportunity yes. to develop your subordinates for increasing levels of responsibility 
Yeah, I think managers miss the opportunity. Again, let's say you work for me. Um, not that that'll ever happen. Um, but but if you worked for me, I might come to you and say, look, you know, Joe's left. Um, he's going to spend time at home for a while. Um, and, uh, Mike, I really think that what you've been doing, you've been doing it well. And I think uh, you're somebody that I'd like to ask to do more. Um, I think you can take over about 60% of Joe's role. I really think uh, you're capable of that. I believe in you. I want you to do it. I think it'll open up new opportunities for you. It'll get you some exposure that you don't have right now. Um, and I'd like this to be a part of your professional development in the next year. When you put it to people that way, as opposed to just saying, hey, listen, I've decided to give you part of Joe's job as a way of keeping costs down, you know, you're going to get better results. So, yes, I, I agree with you. Yeah, what do you mean by that comment that I, I would never work for you? Well, I mean, like, you wouldn't hire meaning, me meaning after I, all this time, knowing you all this time? Wow. No, no, no. I mean, I, I, I can see myself working for you, but uh, you don't need to be working for me. <laughs> uh, all right. What else? Um, okay, so um, so now we're through the first two big questions, and then we get to what most people start thinking about when they think about preparation, even though, again, we're not going to talk about interview questions. The next one we do is we define the job all over again. Now, I, I do this, if for no other reason than to remind managers how truly bad job descriptions are in corporate America. Uh, there are some exceptions. Um, there are some tools that HR has rolled out in the last five years that are pretty effective. By the way, they don't include competencies. Um, but But... Taking some time to define the job is an important step. Um, so you start with the job description. You should read it yourself. And you should be asking yourself, what will this person do? And probably you'll find that the job description doesn't actually tell you what they're going to do. Um, I have found a great way to ask that question of yourself. What is this person going to do? Is to say, if I followed him or her around all day, what would a video camera capture her doing and saying? Next, don't ask your team to review the job description just yet. Send them a simple form, we have one on our site, which asks some simple questions. Some of these are subtly different depending upon whether it's a new position or filling a vacancy, but again, you know, in 30 minutes we don't have time to go through that. But here's some simple questions. What will this person do? What, will, what did the person who left do? What would a stranger have seen them doing? What did the previous person do well? Who do you want this person to be like on the team and why? Who do you want this person most not to be like and why? And you don't have to answer that question if you don't want to. Um, what do you think about the next year of work? Anything we need to consider for this person? Those are some simple questions. You know, I, I would put it out in an email with some space in between and have them respond back right in the email, give them 48 hours. Make it mandatory, but don't give them more than 48 hours because after that, they're not thinking about it. Um, you should, and then once you get that input back, then respond back with the job description that the company has. Good if you can include your notes on it, but not critical. Obviously, you want to take off the salary stuff, um, and and see what your team thinks about the job. And probably what they'll say is the job description is terrible. I want to add this, 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 and this. And what you'll do is you'll get a lot better job descriptions. And after you do this, if you're in a job for a couple of years, after a while, if you're doing regular hiring, regular hiring, your job description will be very effective. It will mean that the person who takes your place will do a lot better in staffing the needs because the job description is descriptive as opposed to just a form that has to be filled out to fill up a filing cabinet somewhere in HR. And then at the same time, ask your peers and your boss for some input. Sa similar set of questions. Okay. Now, one, one thing I, I, I try to coach managers on, 
when when you ask these questions, you're going to get a lot of qualities in people's answers. Things like, well, he needs to be motivated. He needs to be high energy. He needs to be a good communicator. Um, we could have a whole podcast just on how to do this, but specifically asking other managers and, and your boss and subordinates for examples of what they mean by those things can be very effective. So when they say, God, the person, you know, he has got to be a team builder. Well, okay. What do you mean by team builder? What would they do that would make you think of them as a team builder? Um, Okay. Tell me about what this previous person did or didn't do that would make you think of them as a team builder or not. Um, Who on your team or somebody that we both know do you consider to be a team builder? And what would I see them doing or have seen them doing recently that would make us think that way? You've got to get down to behavior. If you just ask for quality. If you just ask a broad question, people are going to give you a lot of qualities and you won't know how to ask questions to determine that in the interview. You want to go after behavior. Yeah, that's a great okay. point. Yeah. One other, you know, one other thing I, I like about this particular step, matter of fact, I love this step because this really gives you an opportunity to look at your organization and, and redefine the position. You may yeah, find oh. that the position is, is, is not necessary. You may take some of the responsibilities, dole them out to some of the other people in your organization and create a, a job and different job entirely. You may yes. find that there are some gaping holes in terms of your organizational capabilities, and this gives you an opportunity to go define that, define that weakness, if you will, define some new responsibilities, and either develop somebody or you know internally, or go outside and fill that gap. Uh, you know, Mike, if I can interrupt, I have to tell you something. We're really talking about this from a from a lowest manager in the organization level. But quite frankly, some of the things you're talking about are things that if I'm interviewing a senior manager, director, uh, vice president, and they're not thinking about these things at a very high level, like, okay, this opening allows us to reexamine structure, reexamine, you know, uh, organizational roles and responsibilities. If they're not thinking that almost every time, then they're weakening the organization because the, the, the structure they have now is an artifact from probably a couple of years ago. I'm not a big fan of reorganizations, don't get me wrong, um, but, but uh, structure is not something that should be left off the table if you're a, if you're a director, for instance. Sure, and, but I think it also applies to even first-line managers. There, oh, it does. There yeah. might be, there, it might be, there often are jobs and you know, responsibilities that are left over from programs that were... You know, effective ten years ago, but may not be effective anymore. So, uh, it, so just kind of a continued re- reevaluation right. of your organization, how it's organized, how the uh, responsibilities are partitioned across the team, and you know what objectives you're trying to meet is you know obviously something we're gonna you're gonna want to do right. pretty continuously. Yeah, good. Okay. Um, next is we want to review. This is something that a lot of managers miss. We're looking at the job. And we're looking at the job description, which most people would say, eh, really not that good. Now, we've talked to some other people about how things have been done and whether people are good or not. But a real font of information uh, regarding the job is in performance reviews of people who have done this job previously. Now, obviously, the incumbent, if there was a person who left the job, um, even if you're changing the job, let's look at that person's performance reviews for the last couple of years, certainly during the time that he or she was doing the job. And you, what you want to do, look, if you've got 10 people who are auditors who are working for you, gosh, you should look at all 10 of their performance reviews. What is it that the best people do? Let's not hire the lowest common denominator. Let's find some more high performers. So when you look at what high performers were rewarded for, 
Let's get more. Let's look for those kinds of things. And if you can, if your peers uh, supervise similar backgrounds, not exactly necessarily, but similar, ask for the same data from your peers. Ask for performance reviews from um, people who report to your peers, other other similar roles. Um, they may not share it, but it won't hurt to ask, and it will help you see trends of top performers and bottom performers that you may want to screen for in the interview. I think people do a terrible job of, you know, it's so many things, job descriptions, performance reviews, mostly most of the HR processes that result in forms and stuff like that. People are irritated that they have to have to do a mic, but then they don't go back and mine them for data. And heck, if they're going to twist your arm and make you do it, you might as well benefit from it at some point in the future. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Okay. Um, step five, this is something I would say that very few managers ever do this, and that is evaluating fit issues with your team. We really don't have time to go all the way through it today. We're going to come back and do a step, separate show on it. Again, this show is really just broadly to be thinking about the, the, the pre-question preparation. Um, um, we need to look at the types of folks on your team and avoid the natural tendency to get another person just like the ones you already have. And it would be easy to take what we've already said and say, well, gosh, what Mark and Mike are suggesting is I should get clones of my top people. You know, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. And in fact, I would argue that if any manager could clone their top people, he or she would do very well and get promoted very, very quickly. But there's another piece to it, and it goes to the issue of diversity, um, fresh thinking, um, the fact that the future is going to be different than the present by definition. Um, uh, but a, a profile instrument, some sort of behavioral profile instrument to look at your team and you know, as a way of uh, a filter to look at your team and then say, gosh, do we have all of one type and do we need something different in this particular role? Now, look, if you have a bunch of auditors, if you have a bunch of financial wizards, um, we don't need a salesperson on the team. But a little bit of shading towards somebody who has presentation skills, for instance, or uh, no offense to auditors, I'm not suggesting that all auditors or financial people don't have presentation skills, but looking at the team in terms of strengths and weaknesses as, a, as, a, as an individual unit and thinking about diversity, not just in terms of skin color, or gender, or ethnicity, or age, but rather in terms of uh, skills or, um, um, and behaviors, um, I think that's a very powerful thing to do. Teams that tend to have a lot of different skills, a lot of different behaviors, a lot of different backgrounds tend to be more robust, provided their manager spends time managing those issues. Ever, teams who are all the same tend to do fine in similar situations, but if they get a crisis, they tend to fold pretty quickly. All right. Um, step six. Um, this is when I generally recommend you start thinking about engaging your HR professional. Now, really here, we're getting into a whole lot of details about how companies hire and people are going to write us and say, well, I don't have any HR professionals. What should I do? Well, lucky you. And at the same time, for those of you who do have HR professionals, you should have a relationship with them which allows you to get the most out of them you possibly can. Um, but the pre-work we've already suggested um, will change how you engage that HR professional. Um, as a general rule, I recommend that when they get involved in terms of pre-screening applicants and doing phone interviews and so on, I recommend you ask them, again, as a general rule, to broaden their willingness to send you resumes. In other words, their goal should not be to rule everyone out and narrow it down to two people you get to pick from. You, f you find that uh, HR organizations tend to screen out more candidates than you would like? Um, uh, not necessarily. Some of them, Mike, it, it goes across the board. Some of them 
barely screen at all. It tends to be a function more of their understanding of the role. If they understand the role real precisely, um, if it's a communication role, if it's not a, a technical role, um, they tend to uh, screen very tightly. Um, the problem is often in the technical roles, they screen tightly because they just they say, well, this person has C, for instance, but he doesn't have C++. Well, okay, but you know I might be able to make an exception there. What I have found is they don't have the knowledge you do, and you can't communicate everything to them. So I would say to them, if, you're, if you doubt yourself, if you're not certain there or no, go ahead and send them along. I'd rather do a couple of extra 30-minute interviews in return for having an opportunity to talk to somebody. And look, I don't have any problem. If I'm in a 30-minute interview and I'm 15 minutes into it and I know this person is not right for my team, I'm going to say, well, I've got enough. Um, thank you so much for coming in, and I'm going to end it. I know there are some people who say, oh, you can't do that. You have to ask everybody the same questions. Well, I disagree with that, and we'll talk about that when we go through the many, many podcasts we'll have on how to interview and how to screen and how to hire and so on. But generally, yes, I ask them to be a little bit broader because I don't think any manager should be unwilling to do 10 or 15 or even 20 interviews. And then if that makes your head spin, folks, I'm sorry. You're not very good at interviewing. Most of you know that. Part of the reason you're not very good is the, the pool you're drawing from is too small. The questions you have are not very good and you end up being driven by time rather than by quality. Uh, it's interesting how much time or how little time folks put into decisions like this when oh. th- that decision is going to impact them for literally for years to come. They'll spend yep. more time preparing for a presentation a week from now than hiring a critical employee in their organization, which is... Uh, I'll give you a, a, a snippet of something that a manager told me once. This is a great guy, a good friend of mine at a major corporation, he said, Mark, I've got an opening um, starting. Uh, I've got an opening. I just got an open rec. Uh, I can't do our regular call on Tuesdays at 4 because all of my afternoons from 2.30 on for the next three weeks are open for my HR person to put an interview slot in there. He essentially was given up from 2.30 to 5 every afternoon for the next two to three weeks. And if he didn't fill it up, well, he, he saw that as, as found money, of course, found time. Um, but he was he was absolutely willing to do twenty or thirty interviews, and then and then talk to his team. He he thought he was sending and he was a very powerful message about I won't hire anybody for this team that doesn't meet our standards. Yeah, that's 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 unusual. That's great. Yeah, I bet you he's a pretty good manager. <laughs> and you know what? He had a awesome team. So it was it was clear the proof was already in the pudding. Hmm. So so good teams don't just magically happen. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know what do you know? <laughs> Okay, um, last step we really have time to talk about today is resumes and applications in advance. I'm amazed at the number of managers who say, oh, well, if you think they might be good, send them down. No, I don't need to look at the paperwork. I wouldn't do it. Part of the reason is because interviewing is very hard. You need to do it well. Uh, I don't even care if this person's your friend. Do not interview a friend of yours without all the necessary paperwork. Um, and, and when I say that, I mean schedule time in advance, not right before the interview, not five minutes before the interview, because if you have a half-hour schedule before the interview to review paperwork, you'll cut that down to 10 minutes, and you'll walk into the interview and say, hold on, let me give just a minute, let me review your resume, which is a slap in the face to a top performer who won't want to come to work for you after hearing that. You spend some time in advance, like maybe on Monday, you interview all your resumes. Um, you know, on the Monday, you interview them for everybody, you review them for everybody you're interviewed that week. Um, and you make notes on the paperwork. Uh, and you review resumes, applications, anything that you have that's standard, you want to look at that. Now, I, I've sort of skipped a step here, and that is 
we're going to have the team talk to everybody too. Uh, in some cases, it depends on the job and so on. Um, but that's something that we're going to do later. If somebody asked me, Mark, would you tell the team that you might have people interview them? I, I, I might have them interview some people. I would say yes. I'm going to let them know that. But that's a step that I think of as happening after I've screened down to the maybe one or two people that I would consider hiring. So at this point, in terms of preparing, even before I'm thinking about questions, I want to review resumes and applications. Um, and I'm going to compare A to B to C. I'm not going to look at A's and uh, uh, resume separate from B's. I'm going to try to look at a bunch of them in a pile. Um, and that's where you can do some really intelligent thinking, Mike. And, and additionally, if you only get two or three, um, I don't think you have enough information to really do some comparison. And I think part of what the value of interviewing is, is comparing people. And you may find that one person has something you weren't even looking for that really impresses you. And you need to know that so you can look at, look at other candidates for that very same criteria. Okay? Now, I feel bad, Mike. I mean, I know, you know we talk about interviews, but fact is... Um, there's a lot here. I mean, we're, we are just scratching the surface. And we, you and I have talked before about the fact that, gee, you know, can we do all these all at once, uh, you know, and do 20 more podcasts? But I could easily see us having 30 to 40 podcasts just about the process of hiring people. Literally, how to ask one question sometimes can take 20 minutes. Um, but we just want to touch the surface here, let people know there'll be two, we have tools about interviewing, we have tools about behavioral profiling as well, um, and those are going to be obviously multiple podcast shows as we walk people through how to use those to make their teams more effective. Yeah, you want people coming back. I mean, you can't give them all yeah. information at once. Yep. And the thing I was getting ready to say is, uh, before I go, though, we didn't, um, I was in Italy, but you had the pleasure of being interviewed on uh, Wayne Termell's uh, The Cranky Middle Manager podcast. That's right. Which was, uh, he did a very good job, I must well, say. Well, thanks. Wayne was a great guy, and uh, we share a common interest in the fact that even though he's a training manager, a lot of training in corporate America is not that great. Um, and um, several people have complimented us on the fact that it, our, our podcast is very focused on what you can do. Um, and um, he, he feels the same way. The more we help people see what they can do, the more effective uh, the training will be. So we were, thrill- we were thrilled to have the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, thanks to Wayne for yes. allowing us to do that. And uh, I will put uh, a link to Wayne's uh, website as well as the specific uh, podcast that uh, you did with Wayne up on the uh, show notes. Great. So people can check that out. All right, my friend. We will uh, talk again next week. Talk to you then. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Manager Tools. As always, I hope you find something useful that you can put to work today. Remember, you can always provide us feedback at show at manager-tools.com or go to the website, www.manager-tools.com and leave us comments there. Thanks again for joining us and we'll see you again next week.